0: is CBS Eye on the World. Here's John Batchelor. War in space. I welcome Henry Sokalski, the executive director of the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center, to talk about space war. That's right, war in orbit. Henry conducted, and will explain, a war game over many days. And the paper is available on Henry's site right now, entitled China Waging War in Space, an after-action report. Henry, a very good evening to you. Thank you for this. The report Thank is you. very thorough, and we will we will explicate the teams, move one and move two, somewhere between 2027 and 2029. But first, I'd like to understand your mission. Why did you construct this, Henry? Good evening to you.
1: That uh, the front line of strategic deterrence to, to make sure people don't go to war with us and, and are, are put back on their heels. Uh, the, the front line has been, if you will, gravitating away from the surface of the earth into space. And what do I mean by that? Uh, it, we spend a lot of time debating uh, how many and what kind of nuclear and non-nuclear arms we should have, right, you know, what are the right weapons? What's the right number? Where should they be? How should they be used? We also uh, talk an awful lot about legs, if you will, how to deliver these things. Uh, the legs would be a missile. Or it would be a, a ship. It would be a plane. However, you, I don't care how strong your arms are or how long and quick your legs are. If you get into a, a fight with someone and they lobotomize you, <laughs> they take out your eyes, your ears, your voice, and your nervous system, that's it. Game over. And where increasingly are those capabilities? They're based in space on satellites, communication satellites, imagery satellites, satellites that uh, you know tell us the position of things. That's in space. So we need to make sure that those capabilities don't get knocked out or temporarily delayed in doing their service, uh, dazzled, if you will, by lasers or, you know, disabled momentarily. So I thought I needed to move my organization to those issues. And I After holding about three years of pretty high-level meetings in private with very senior people, names you can recognize, including, let's say, the head of the Space Force, uh, the head of uh, France's Space Force, et cetera, pretty senior, I learned that the, the games that are done with regard to space combat didn't have that mix of people that I strive to have when I deal with government issues And I thought, oh, maybe we should have one. I then secured someone who had a long track record with the Department of Defense designing games who had retired. His name is Mark Herman. And I started talking with him. And we decided, okay, let's do this. And I raised some money. And that explains at least why the game.
0: Let's plunge into the teams. These took place May 5th, 10th and 12th of last year. The U S team is captained by Andrea Harrington. The PRC team, the China team is captained by Mike Gleason and the Japan regional powers team. There are three teams here is captained by Taro Hayashi. How did you choose the captains?
1: Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't want to put too much emphasis on the captains as compared to the people generally. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we had people who actually professionally had to work these issues to do their job and that they had a connection that was pretty strong with doing public service in a government. I, you know, uh, so I got congressional aides. I got people in the executive branch. I got people who had retired but held onto their clearance and were advising the government and tried to make sure that we had some Asians. And so that was the mentality. And the, the team leaders were, were simply picked, you know, uh, by, you know, who wanted to do the work. But it was the, the, the list of participants more generally that assured that we would have interactions uh, amongst people who don't normally talk to one another but need to.
0: Henry, you've indicated to me that one of the reasons you don't make a senator or a senator's senior staffer the team leader is because no one will contradict. In other words, groupthink is told. You wanted to avoid groupthink. Did you?
1: Uh, I think we did because uh, we made sure that nobody thought their job was at stake by what they said. Not only that, but, you know, one of the fun things about a game is people mistakenly think there's going to be a winner. (laughs) And so they become competitive enough that they really try to lay out the best case for, and, you know, the teams are China, the United States, and our Pacific and and, uh, Western European spacefaring allies. And they've tried to to really do as best a job as they could. And uh, it brings out the best in people, you know, uh, when when they care about doing as well as they can and they think, Someone might lose if they don't do well.
0: Let's plunge into the game. I'm speaking with Henry Sokolsky. He's the executive director of the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center. We're playing a game, China waging war in space, in orbit, in the immediate future, 2027. When we come back, move one. This is CBSI on the World. I'm John Batchelor. CBS I in the World. I'm John Batchel with Henry Sikorsky, the executive director of the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center. Over and over these last this last year, Henry and his team have constructed a war game played by a number of distinguished individuals in and out of government. A war game that has moved one starting in twenty twenty seven. The war game is entitled a uh, chiefly very china's space war game. This is about the PRC aggressively seeking to win. Wargame participants all knew this when they started. The scenario is that it is 2027. The PRC moves first. I read from the document. The PRC team deployed 10 rendezvous ASAT systems into orbits within reach of the U.S. nuclear command, control, and communication space infrastructure. Henry, what is an ASAT system? What does this mean? What does it look like that they're within reach of our satellites?
1: Well, ASAT is an acronym, and I hate acronyms, so let's spell it out. Anti-satellite weapon, essentially, is what the word in the acronym ASAT stands for. It's an anti-satellite weapon. Now, that encompasses a lot of different things. It's not a single thing. What? Are anti satellite weapons what kinds of things category you know qualify? Uh, well, if you have an electronic uh, warfare jamming system uh, on the planet Earth and it uh, puts jamming energy on the electronic transmissions of a satellite, that defeats the satellite, even though it does not. Uh, destroy permanently uh, the satellite. Another example of of a disabling anti-satellite weapon that is based on Earth would be lasers. There are ground-based lasers that have a lot of civilian applications that can be used, however, to temporarily dazzle the optics of satellites that look down at Earth. And if you can get the energy on the satellite optics, it will it won't see anything. That's another example of ASAT. The most common thing that we think about with regard to ASATs actually may be a little antiquated now, but it's the one we read about the most. You fire a missile from the from you know the surface of the Earth to a satellite, and you explode the the uh, a warhead uh, on top of that missile close to a satellite. And it physically destroys the satellite. The reason that's dramatic uh, is that there have been tests recently by Russians, Chinese, Indians, and even ourselves in the last you know several decades. Makes wonderful news. And it is a real problem. I don't want to dismiss it. But because the satellites uh, that work this way, anti-satellite weapons work this way, they disperse a lot of debris. And while they harm the satellite that's targeted, they also leave a real mess up, up, up in, 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 in space that can harm your satellites. So there's been a movement away from those kinds of weapons, those satellite weapons, to the kind I've talked about. There are also, as a new type of anti-satellite weapon, which is gaining both for commercial and military reasons, it's called a rendezvous satellite. These satellites go up and have perfectly legitimate civilian purposes to refuel, repair, and reposition old satellites so that they can stay up and work for a much longer period of time. The same satellite that refuels, repositions, and repairs, however, can break, put out of uh, uh, proper orbit, and defuel uh, a satellite and make it Disabled. It also could spray paint sensors so that, you know, the satellite in question can't see or work or bend antennas. Now, none of that would produce any debris. So you can see the attraction. Not only that, but you have plausible deniability that the item in question has any military intent whatsoever until it does whatever it does. So you can see the world's getting a little more sophisticated and complicated.
0: Yeah. The China team debated whether it should deploy 10 systems or hold some back. The China team also debated whether it should block GPS satellites just over the area of Taiwan, because the ambition here is to threaten not only the United States, but the Japan alliance. The Japan alliance was waiting for the U.S. to respond. However, I read from the report, Henry, that the first reaction of the U.S. was to consult with its allies And not to respond. Is that correct? There was no, uh, there was no thought of going to weapons free.
1: Uh, First, the problem with any action is making sense of what happened. Uh, We do not have a clear view and probably will never have as clear a view as we want of what's going on up there. There's a very technical term called space surveillance uh, and space surveillance uh, assessments uh, is all a fancy way of saying, can we tell not only where things are in space? And some of these things are quite small, but more important, what their intent is and what they're doing. And the short answer is not as well as we need. And part of the problem during the game was ascertaining what the heck had been going on and what the intent was. We actually need help doing this. I mean, the United States, of course, has the best space surveillance capability there is, but we could use all the help we can garner to goose it up. So the first thing uh, we wanted to do was consult with the allies because they have satellites up in space. As well as we do, and I think this is something that has changed over the last fifty years. It used to be just the United States and Russia had satellites. Not anymore. All God's children have them, and uh, they some of them have military uh, satellites as well. So it's it's changed. You have to work well. At least the United States it would be wise to touch base with its spacefaring friends. So no. We did not take unilateral action because what we would do would immediately jeopardize or impinge on the operation of our spacefaring allies, satellites. And in any space operation against Russia or China, we're going to need to have their help and we're going to have to coordinate with them. And that is also not uh, how we've normally done things in the past. That's different.
0: There was a corrective for this first move by the United States and the PRC, but I want to concentrate on the United States. Eight, the United States should, in other words, in order to respond to this scenario, the United States should acquire a fleet of space planes, X-37B, or a spacecraft that have enough fuel on board easily to move to different orbits quickly. This fleet can and should include both military and commercial systems. That does not now exist. So what we learn in the first move is that the U.S. doesn't have enough tools to respond to a, a move by the PRC that is deni- that has deniability but appears hostile. Do I say that correctly, Henry?
1: Well, uh, the reason – well, yes. Well, first of all, this is this answer. Yes. <laughs> but we – if you take a look at what Elon Musk is doing and some of his competitors uh, in putting up large payloads inexpensively and reusable um, boosters uh, that come back to Earth and you can reuse and you can fire these things quickly and turn them around. That is and can and should change pretty quickly here. Um Some of these launching systems, Elon Musk in particular, is, to to paraphrase our former president, are huge. I mean, uh, uh, unprecedentedly large. We have
0: about about 30 seconds. Go ahead, Henry.
1: If you can get a large payload into space, you can put a lot of fuel in space, and you could give satellites access to fuel to zip around and move more quickly to different orbits, and that's really important.
0: The war game entitled or conducted with large teams the war game is about what would happen in 2027 china waging war in space the second move takes place in 2029 what did we learn from the first one when we come back i'm john Batchelor.
1: you're listening to cbs eye on the world with john Batchelor.
0: This is CBS Eye in the World. I'm John Batchelor with Henry Sokolsky, the executive director of the Non-Proliferation Policy Education Center. There is a document on Henry's website, China Waging War in Space, an after-action report. It's a war game. It takes place in the future. 2027 was the first move. What we've learned is that three teams are looking at each other to determine what is happening. Is this an aggressive move? Are we under attack? The PRC team launches the aggression in 2027. The U.S. team first consults with its allies because it is unclear what the ambition of the PRC is. Is this about Taiwan? Is this about intimidation? Is this simply making us uncomfortable and separating us from our allies? The second move takes place in 2029. What I understand, Henry, what was learned in the first move was that the U.S. is still mostly concentrated on a diplomatic solution. Do I say that correctly? And what does the Japan alliance team make of jaw-jaw, not war-war? It's not quite that bad, but
1: uh, what the allies have in this move is limited. The number of uh, rendezvous satellites that could um, move Offensive uh, or suspect, I should say, suspect Chinese satellites away from the the satellites that we want to protect, in particular, our our command and control satellites for our nuclear conventional forces. You know, the, the Chinese put satellites very, very close to those critical military satellites of ours. And that was frightening. What you know, what are they going to do? Is that just an accident uh, are they not going to do anything untoward towards our satellites? Because they can move very quickly once they're close. It takes months to get them to that that uh, uh, position close to our, our key satellites for command and control, uh, particularly up in, in, in a very distant orbit called geosynchronous, which allows the satellite to rotate around the Earth uh, and, and view a particular part of the of, of earth all the time so that the Chinese m- took months to get several of these satellites closest to our most important national command and control and imagery satellites. And we didn't know, well, what, do, what, what could they do very quickly after they had gotten close? And so, uh, the, the, uh, first the set of concerns was, can we put our own, maneuvering satellites rendezvous satellites to push the chinese satellites away from our, our 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 very dear key military satellites and the short answer was we didn't have many that's a problem we had some but it became very clear in this first move that boy you want to have them and 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 we were we were caught short
0: in the second move the ambition of the prc is to fragment the allies and they're very successful I note from the documents the Japan and regional allies team, many wanted a diplomatic solution, but Australia, good old Oz, wants to go on the offense right away. The UK and France are looking to put up bodyguard satellites, in other words, defensive only. Germany hesitates, blocking the EU and NATO consensus. The Japan team wants the US to act in some fashion and also em- enforce or, or protect the Republic of Korea, which is extremely threatened, but wants to know, is this about North Korea or is this about China? In other (laughs) words, what we have is a Tower of Babel has emerged. Was that the PRC mission in the first place, to break them up?
1: There's better news than that portrayal. The game actually is a little more upbeat about what what we were able to do. Uh, Yeah, you gave a very accurate portrayal of what the problems were. But what What the game allowed us to do, even lacking all the things that we wanted to deal with the Chinese threat, two things. First of all, we learned that although the allies don't work well with one another uh, as much as they need to, and you, you just laid out the scenario how that worked, they do work reasonably well with the United States. And what happened during the game is we supplied... Uh, services, uh, military and civil services to the Japanese and and to the South Koreans, even though their satellites have been 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 sort of disabled uh, temporarily by the Chinese, and that kept the alliance uh, much tighter than than we expected. And in fact, the Chinese ultimately fail to to intimidate the Japanese. To such an extent that the Japanese uh, wouldn't help us to deal with a threat to Taiwan, we 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 kept the alliance together, even not having the optimal mix of uh, tools and space to deal with the threat the Chinese presented. So, and I think, by the way, that's not Pollyannish. I think that is a pretty accurate portrayal of how things might unfold and and what we still can do.
0: So, first six months, there's fragmentation. The second six months. We're focusing on possible solutions. This is a war game, and so they're looking at how the teams are voting. The first is diplomatic. What I believe is necessary, and I read between the lines here, is we do not have an international agreement that permits the U.S. and its allies to say you're in violation. Is that correct, Henry? Nothing exists right now about this war in space.
1: Uh, What we have is woefully insufficient.
0: And because of its insufficiency, the U.S. wants that document. In other words, before we build more X-37Bs, before we come to space tugs, we need something to be on paper signatories, including the PRC, that when and if they seem to cross a red line, there is collective action, similar to what we're seeing in Eastern Europe right now. That's an ambition. Is it realistic, Henry? Is anybody ready to write that document?
1: Well, there are plenty of people ready to write the document. I just don't know that you can get the Russians and Chinese to say, oh, absolutely. Uh, Far from it. I think, however, one of the points of the game was even if you can't get Russia and China to formally agree to a treaty amongst our allies, uh, we ought to make very clear amongst ourselves and to Russia and China what the red lines are for us. Uh, and we should I mean, we should not be coy about this, and so that they understand what is the behavior that will trigger uh, a response. Now, the spacefaring and military community is very uneasy with this. Um, they would prefer to reserve all their options by not talking publicly about any of this. However, one of the neat things about this game is it became very clear that that's untenable. And what's interesting. And most people don't know this is other countries like France are publicly talking about the need for this. And I think this administration, to its credit, uh, is beginning to talk about it. Uh, we need to get on with it because you can't probably work combat in space unless you have agreement about what is a cause line. You just can't do that. I mean, you can't and you can't make it up after the fact. You have to be clear about it before you go into any kind of combat.
0: The second possibility was to go on the attack, to dazzle, to use cyber weapons and lower-powered lasers. I put that together with the third possibility. These were discussions. in the second six months was deploy bodyguard. In other words, build a big wall of, of satellites to protect our important stuff. And the fourth was... Uh, the capabilities of the U.S. alliance ties have to be strengthened in order to deter China from moving this initially. I like them all, except for the one where going on the aggression. Was that a uniform p- position? Did people see aggression was necessary, or were they holding back?
1: Well, I, in fact, uh, I want to be clear. Actually, we have this image of two fighters punching one another in space, kinetic blows. Uh, that's not really uh, what folks should be thinking about with regard to quote-unquote aggression. The, the, the kinds of things we were doing that uh, we, we were considering and, and did to some extent had to do with uh, cyber interference with uh, the operation of uh, Chinese satellites, uh, temporarily uh, disabling by dazzling with, with ground-based lasers in electronic warfare, bodyguards that would push a satellite out of a lethal range, but not disable it. Uh, in other words, we need to stop watching Star Wars. <laughs> you know, that, that is not what space warfare is about. It's, 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 it's a fun movie, but it's not where the action's at.
0: There is one detail here that I smiled when I read it. attack. The terrestrial targets. I like that, Henry. Satellites. Well, you're going to
1: have to do, if you consider that seriously, uh, and that is kinetic. Uh, we have uh, a problem with electronic warfare uh, systems based on the ground and lasers based on the ground. Um, we probably need to talk publicly about this problem and actually have a diplomatic public effort to circumscribe what kinds of activities can be done to make sure they're civil and peaceful and what kinds of activities uh, go over a line where you may get knocked out or attacked if you do those things. And uh, I, I've written with other much more able experts, myself, thankfully, uh, about this, but there's not very much in the public literature about it. There need That needs to change. Because you may have to actually take action, military action, and strike and destroy something on the ground. Uh, And and we need to be clear about the cause belli, when that's appropriate, and very clear with our our allies as to when that is. Otherwise, you will have great difficulty doing it and justifying it.
0: China waging war in space and after action report when we come back. From the executive summary, lessons learned from the China Space War game conducted by Henry Sokolski and his colleagues. Henry's the executive director of the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center. I'm John Batchelor. Stay
1: tuned for more of CBS Eye on the World with John Batchelor.
0: PBSI in the World. I'm John Betts with Henry Sokolsky. He is the executive director of the Nonproliferation Policy Education Center. The document that we're looking to right now, China waging war in space, is available online on Henry's site. You can read it through and we come to the executive summary. Lessons learned. In other words, there were options for both teams. China was the aggressor. What is to be done was the response from the U.S. team in conjunction with its allies that fragmented so lessons learned. This is back to 2022, away from the future. Henry, the Chinese threat now is considerable. And the four takeaways consider this. U.S. and its space allies have to defend against the immediate Chinese co-orbital anti-satellite threats. Does that exist now? Does Space Command talk about that, Henry?
1: Well, it talks about it quite a lot, and it wants to do more, uh, Part of the challenge is getting the acquisition uh, procedures and and the secrecy, excessive secrecy, cleared out so that they can make the kinds of devices they need uh, and get them quickly, more quickly than they would otherwise get. This is a big hurdle. Um, So, yeah, they're talking about it. I, I don't think it's for a lack of clarity about the problem or what needs to be done. It's just... Uh, you know we can't get out of our own way uh, quickly enough. I think they're making you know headway, and and to to the credit of the industry, the air, the, the aerospace uh, satellite industry and, and aerospace industry lobbyists, if you will, uh, they understand that this is a problem, and they have been making a lot of noise. There was a law just passed that said, "Would you please explain?" What all the programs are publicly, more publicly, so that we can do proper oversight, and accelerate the programs, and eliminate duplication, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, we need to do much better uh, and move more quickly and invest in, in getting numbers up of rendezvous satellites in particular, which, which now here's the good news. Private industry is building these for profit reasons. Now, that presents both an opportunity and a challenge. How well are we working with industry to be able to use or, or, or rely upon their services in, in war? That is very sensitive topic, but it needs to be talked about now.
0: A recommendation. No signing of any agreement with Russia and China because they turn this into an excuse to uh, pro- proceed aggressively with deniability. Are there entertaining ideas now to sign an agreement with them that is not absolute?
1: Uh, actually, I think there's a. I, I don't know that we characterized uh, uh, it quite as absolute as we said. We warned that the probability of getting an agreement with China and Russia was very low. And then any agreement that you pursued needed to be self-enforcing. That is to say, it should not depend on a consultative group where the Russians could veto doing anything about a violation. You have to have agreements where you lay out the red lines and take care of violations. And then after you act, if there's a dispute of whether you acted correctly, you then do that. But you do not you know, put a barrier to action uh, in any space agreement. And, and there's a reason for that. Unlike military actions on, the, on Earth, the military actions in space have a very schizophrenic characteristic, and that is that it takes a very long time to get offensive um, space systems into position. But once you get them into position, it can take very little time to do a lot of harm. And that's very different, I think, uh, than warfare on, on the surface of the Earth. You have much more warning time uh, of what's going on. Uh, you don't in space. And so the, the diplomacy of the Earth needs to be adjusted to the diplomacy in space. That said, in addition, as I, I mentioned in a previous discussion with you, uh, being clear about a diplomatic package has value in identifying bad behavior, even if you don't get formal agreement to it from, let's say, China or Russia. So we weren't against diplomacy, far from it, but it has to be a different kind of diplomacy than the kind we have for preventing or controlling weapons and wars on the surface of the earth.
0: Is the U.S. working with allies, space allies? Is the U.S. preparing to work with South Korea, Japan? Why I ask is we can see the results of not working with NATO allies. The crisis in Eastern Europe is because everyone was pointing fingers at everyone else, blame shifting. What is going on in space now? Can you characterize it? We have a couple of minutes.
1: Good news is uh, Space Command, Space Force uh, actively is advocating to include our spacefaring allies more and more in the activities and the information sharing that they have not been actively collaborating with in the past. I think, however, it's going to take a little bit more than just them advocating. It's a culture change, because I'll tell you what, one way to look at our spacefaring allies, uh, certainly the way we looked at them during the Cold War, is as a protectorate. You know, in other words, we will come and protect you. Where we're going has to be where they're much more active allies and equals in uh, burden sharing. And that requires us trusting them and taking risks and sharing information. Boy, that's going to be a big change. And that is not going to come easily.
0: One detail about trusting allies is that you suggest in your executive summary that China might even now be using commercial cutouts to prepare A weapon in space. Is that under consideration that commercial satellites have dual uses?
1: Well, no, no. Uh, Dual use has been clearly understood. I think what the game highlighted was something nobody, myself included, had thought about, which is how you could actively have to compete with a China that has bought some space firm, much like they buy firms here in the United States, and then have that civil or commercial operation turned into a military one on a dime during a conflict. Um, I don't think we thought enough about that. I don't know what the government uh, is doing, but we surely put a spotlight on it. And I know for a fact that this report has been looked at by people pretty senior in the administration because they told me they had, and I I was astonished by that. I didn't think that was going to happen. So, it's it's something that needs to be worked. Uh, and yes, our relationship between our military and our commercial uh, satellite industry is a very rich vein that needs to be worked. Uh, it, 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 it's not clear how we're going to collaborate with them. And, and and that is something that can't get enough attention because the future is a space populated much more by commercial and civil uh, spacecraft than by military spacecraft. And that's a change
0: from the past. Henry Sikorsky is the executive director of the Non-Proliferation Policy Education Center. The war game conducted in the future, 2027 to 2029, is available now in 2022 on Henry's website. The title of the war game is China Waging War in Space, An after-action report. No winners, no losers, just large questions to be answered. I'm John Batchelor.
1: You're listening to CBS Eye on the World with John Batchelor.